0: Yes, the New Testament reading today is from 1 Timothy, chapter 2. That's the whole chapter. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. Who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and and property, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should lean in quietness, should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with priority. Amen. Thanks, Ron. A
1: number of you will be going, (gasps) are we going to touch this subject today? Well, the problem is if we're in a church which believes that the Bible is true and the Bible is God's word, then we've got to touch stuff like this, don't we? We can't just dodge it and say, well, let's just bypass that one and just forget that it's in there. So we are going to look at it today. But I pray that as we do come to look at it, that uh, we'll come with it in humility. Uh, We'll come with it with graciousness and we'll think it through Uh, because this passage has been used on extremes on both ends to say that male domination is it to the other extreme of saying that it's just absolutely nothing. It's got nothing to do with anyone. Uh, I think that as we come to look at the Bible, the great thing about it is when we read it and when we actually spend time thinking about it, it tells us a lot of truth. And when we look at it, it's not a these extremes but actually comes to us and tells us that something that actually does work and is worth listening to so let me just couch that in that because we live in a world don't we where there's lots of changes and where the whole women's lib movement that has been over probably the last 30 40 years has really done a lot of good i would say uh, for women it actually has helped us and helped society to see that men and women are equal that blokes aren't any better than women and that's very biblical by the way Uh, God created man and woman. They were created in his image, both of them. Uh, The bloke wasn't any better than the woman, and the woman wasn't any better than the bloke. They were both equal. So that's a very biblical concept. But I think sometimes down the track that in trying to make men and women equal, we've actually forgotten that men and women are different. There's some things about men that they do well sometimes and there's some things about women that they do well. There's some things about men that they stuff up big times and there's some things about women that they don't do well sometimes. If you go to the bloke's camp, you've got to like barbecues. If you go to the women's camp, well, you I don't know what you like, but you've got to like it. <laughs> We're different, aren't we? We are different and I think we've lost a bit of that sometimes. Whereas I think the great thing about the Bible is it does say that we are equal but it also says that we are different. That some things that blokes should be doing and some things that girls should be doing. Some things that blokes probably shouldn't be doing and some things girls maybe shouldn't be doing either. But together, that doesn't diminish either. But it says we are equal but we are different. That we complement each other. And so keep that in your mind as we come to this passage. Hopefully that will help you as we get to the last part of this passage, because that's probably the most controversial part of it. But I think it'll help us as we come that way. Because uh, we, we live in a world that there's lots of changes, isn't there? There's changes all around us. I read uh, the other day in the Time magazine uh, the 40th great inventions of uh, the last year. And one of them is this, that for $350 American, you can get a test where you spit onto a piece of paper or something, you send it off, and they'll give you a report back to you on 90 predispositions that you have to certain ailments or things that could go on in your body. From that one piece of saliva, they look at it, they look at the DNA, they go through it and they come back and tell you their your predisposition to celiac disease or to breast cancer or to having grey hair or to losing hair or to having no hair at all like Benjamin. You know, they can come back and tell you all these things. It's a phenomenal thing. That's amazing, isn't it? Or well, there's a, a thing these days also, there's a brick wall or a cement wall that what it does is air when, smog when it hits this side permeates through and comes out the other side and is perfectly clean air. It actually takes out the smog in things. That's amazing, isn't it? There's lots of changes, isn't there, in the world. It actually does these things for us. But I think even in this world that we live, in all the changes that we have, there's also some timeless truths that are there too, aren't there? There's that timeless truth that when you're on a hot, stinking hot day, you've been out running around and it's just so hot that when you grab that ice-cold Coke and it just hits the back of your neck and goes, there's nothing like it. It's a timeless truth. Well, for me anyway. (laughs) But there's other timeless truths, aren't there? Every morning the sun rises. Every night it sets. Every time we see there are people in life who fall in love Or there's people who hurt each other. Or that there will always be a war somewhere. Or there will always be somewhere someone is actually reaching out to someone to help. Or that we know that there is a timeless truth that not everyone's perfect. Not even you or me. Or there's a timeless truth that I think keeps hitting me every day. Every one of us, everyone sitting here this morning has this deep ingrained desire to be loved unconditionally. They're timeless truths, aren't they? And they're timeless truths because we live in a world that has been ordered. We live in a world that has been made by a loving creator. We live in a world that has been put together by a powerful, just, merciful, jealous God who has things set out in a way that if we operate in that way things will work better. Things will go much smoother. You see, God has some great concerns for you and I that I think are timeless truths, things that cross across all barriers. As we look at this passage today, I think we're going to find four or five of them, five timeless truths that God has for you and I. And one of them is going to come up in that last passage that we're going to look at as well. So as we come to look at that together, because it's a, it's a tricky part of the Bible, and if you're not used to looking at the Bible, uh, bear with us as we work through it. Please see that we want to teach that Bible well, so we're going to look at it fairly carefully. Uh, but pray, we're going to pray that we can actually look at it and understand it and see what God has to say to us through it. So let's pray as we come to look at it together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we were looking at one of those tough passages Uh, This passage, that sometimes gets tossed aside or sometimes gets made to say what it doesn't mean. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we look at it together, that by your spirit you'll work in our hearts uh, to come to understand your concerns within it, to come to have your thoughts about the issues that you bring up, Lord. Help us to see what you see. Help us to understand this world from your perspective. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the great things, if you look at this passage, is that one of God's great concerns is that we pray. Have a look at verse 1 there, if you've got your Bibles open. Or I'll read it for you. It says this, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. One of great, God's great concerns for you and I is that we pray, that we spend time speaking to him. You see, a timeless truth that we have is that you and I actually do desire to speak to someone greater than ourselves. Uh, sometimes that comes up when we're in pain. Sometimes that comes up when things are amazing. Sometimes it comes up when we just can't think of anything else to do. We think, should we pray? Should we go to someone bigger than us? Well, God said that's a good thing. We should pray to him. We should come to him. There's a uh, great saying, is that, uh, when you can't go to sleep at night, stop counting the sheep and start speaking to the shepherd a good idea, isn't it? Start speaking to the God who can do something about it. And notice that it's a prayer for our whole life. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, a petition, of intercession, in a sense it's saying that our prayer life should be varied. It's not just asking for stuff for ourselves when we pray for God. Not just asking for God to help us. but It's being thankful. It's intercession for other people. It's praying for people around us and things around us. It's praying not just for our own little microcosm of a world and our own little family or our own little town. It's praying on a worldwide thing like we had today, praying for Pakistan, praying for America, praying for our country. And as we see there, that he talks about praying for all those in leadership, doesn't he? Look there in verse 2 he says, for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. We need to be praying on a broad spectrum of things, not just for our own little world. I'm reading a book with a couple of other guys in this congregation called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And there's a chapter in that about being uh, disciplined in your prayer life. It was really challenging for me because I tend to sometimes think, well, I pray here and there. But this is actually saying we need to actually specifically set time aside to pray, like a time in a day. I was talking about doing it not when you're just feeling tired and you're about to nod off and go to sleep, but times when you're awake because you're talking to the God who can do things. You're talking to the greatest being ever. Imagine speaking to the king and just going, or to the queen and start talking to her about stuff and then go, I don't think she'd be particularly impressed, would she? We should be alive and awake when we speak to God. And so this uh, really challenged me to put together a prayer list. Of actually writing down some people to pray for and thinking through the week. So now I've got two lots of lists and I pray for on alternate days. It's been really helpful for me that might be helpful for you. Because I think the key to this book was saying that we need to be specific, we need to be deliberate and we need to be consistent in our prayers. Because that's one of God's concerns, one of his great concerns. It says there in verse 1, doesn't it, that he wants us to pray. He wants us to pray and pray and pray. And in the next part we're going to see that there's a great concern he wants us to pray about. So firstly we see one of God's great concerns, a timeless truth. Something that we should all be on about is praying. And the second one is, I think, that we need to be on about is what God's on about, and his great concern is to see all people saved. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. You see, here's a timeless truth. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. It comes from John chapter 3, verse 16. That's his great desire. God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be separated from him for eternity. And so he does something about that. He sends Jesus for us as a ransom, as a mediator for us. You see, in a sense, the picture is it's like you and I, of and by ourselves, keep getting bound up by the things that we do wrong. That's what sin means. Sin is not just your big ones, your seven deadly sins. But it's all the stuff that we do wrong that God doesn't like. All the stuff that we do that says to God, you're not in control, I am. And that wraps us up. In a sense, it's like it's been wrapped up by these things and we're sitting on a railway track and we're squirming and trying to get off it and then we're thinking, how do I get out of all this? I'm all tied up by it. And I keep doing more and I kept being bound more and more. But not only that, but there's a train heading towards you and there's a train that's got death written across the front of it. You're on this train line and you thinking, how do I, can I get out of this? I'm stuck in this life. I'm stuck like this. How can I get away from this? How can I get out of these binds? How can I get out of the way of this train? Well, God, in his great love for us, ransoms Jesus for us and puts him in front of the train. He takes on the train. He gets hit by the train. He's killed by the train. And we've been set free. Now, if you were being like me, and that train was getting really close, I reckon I would have closed my eyes and thought, "Ah, oh, no, I'm gone. But the amazing thing is that when Jesus takes that train, when we open up our eyes... We're set free from all that sin that's been taken from us and Jesus is standing there with his hand out and he says, take it, come and be with me. That is the beauty of the good news of Jesus. He holds out his hand to you and I this morning and says, you can be free, you can be set free from sin, you can be set free from death if you put your trust in Jesus. You see, the other flip side of that too is, though, if you don't, you're going to be stuck on that train track and you're going to experience death and God's judgment. And that's horrible. God doesn't desire you to have that. He desires you to take Jesus. And that's why he loves you so much and sends him for you. All you've got to do is take his hand and he lifts you off and sets you free. You see, the right response, the only response we can have to that is to actually fall into his arms and say thank you. And if we do this, we will be saved. That's a timeless truth that this passage is talking about. It's a timeless truth that is good news for you and I. It's a timeless truth that we can be with God for eternity, set free by him. And that's one of God's great concerns for you that you're to be set free by Jesus. So he has a great concern that we pray. He has a great concern that you're set free by Jesus. And part of that is that we pray for others to be set free as well. But not only does God have a great concern for that, but he also has a great concern with how we live as well. Look at verse 2. He says that we should be praying for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Godliness and holiness, what does that mean? Some words we probably don't use too often, is it? Godliness and holiness just means that we have to be people who live for God's concerns and not our own. We live for the things that God desires for people, for peace, for love, for justice, for other people to come to know Jesus. They're the concerns that we have. That's what a godly and holy life is, is that we live for his concerns and not our own. You see, a godly, peaceful and quiet life isn't that we pray and desire to be living in a nice street where the dogs don't bark, where people aren't having wild parties up the other end of the street. No, quiet and peaceful lives are lives that are lived for God's concerns. Lives that are lived thinking about the concerns of others in our community, in our street. And how best can we serve them and love them? That's what it is to live for God's concerns. That's what it is to live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. And that's God's desire for you, that you live for his concerns, that you pray for his concerns. And now Paul takes it a little bit further. He says, not only do I want that for everyone, but then he brings it down to blokes, And women, and this is where it sometimes gets a little bit tricky, doesn't it? Uh, Let's have a look at what he says about that. And notice that it's in the context of how we are to live that he desires this. So what he says says there in verse 8, he goes for the blokes first. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. You see, blokes need to be blokes of prayer and not of fighting. Likes to be blokes of prayer and not of violence. You see, the emphasis here in this part of the Bible, in this little verse, is not so much how our hands are shaped. You see, the Bible talks about all different ways that we can pray. So it's not just having our hands in the air that's important. It's having a heart that desires what God wants. It's our heart attitude when we pray. You see, hands are a picture of what a man's heart is like. What we do with our hands comes from our hearts. With our hands, we can reach out in friendship. With our hands, we can hug and embrace with forgiveness. With our hands, we can express warmth and tenderness. But sadly, with our hands, we can strike out in violence and anger. And this is a real danger for men, the Bible is saying. It's pretty sad, isn't it, when we live in a society where we have to have ads that have to tell us that hitting a woman is wrong. Hitting a child is wrong. That domestic violence is wrong. That's a sad state really that we need an ad to tell us that. We should know that, shouldn't we? And that's what it's saying here. People who are for God's concerns, who desire to live for him, are not people who lash out and hit. Blokes are not to lash out and hit people. You see, the big problem back in creation, back in Genesis, was when man reached out and took the apple or the fruit of whatever it was at the time. He reached out and disobeyed God and did the wrong thing. Now, God wants hands that trust in him, hands that pray to him. He wants blokes with hearts that reach out to him. That's what it's talking about in verse 8. Blokes, we need to be guys who pray, guys who reach out for God's concerns and don't reach out and strike in anger or violence. And so keeping that in mind, we look at what the Bible has to say about women in verse 9 there. It says, uh, and you'll notice here too that the same thing, it's the same principle here. The outward sign is what's happening on the inside. It's what's important to God. And the same here. It's the outward, but the inward is what's most important. The real problem comes on what's on the inside. So look at what it says there in verse 9 and 10. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, again, just like the first one, it's not saying that all blokes are like this. But it is saying that we need to be careful not to be caught in the same trap. Not all women are obsessed with their looks. Well, I don't think they are. I'm not a woman, but I don't think you are. And not all men are out to pick fights. But obviously it's talking about an inward state, isn't it? It's talking about that we should be concerned with what's on the inside and not with vanity, not with what we look like on the outside. It's more about how, who we are and how we live and not about how we look. That's really hard in a very image-obsessed world, aren't we? Abs- just about everything we see on TV is about what you look like. All those makeup, changeover, all those sorts of things, even, even the losing weight ones to a point, is all about how you look. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that how you look makes a difference to how you feel, but it's sad when your whole worth is wrapped up in how you look. That's what our world's trying to do, isn't it? It's trying to flip it and say, unless you are good-looking, unless you've got the right body, unless you've got all the things in the right place, then really you're not worth it. You need to be changed. Well, this is saying to us, it's got nothing to do with your looks, in a sense. It's all got to do with what you're like on the inside, godliness, propriety, dress modestly and decency, appropriate, good deeds for a woman who professes to worship God. It's about the heart. It's not so much about the looks. It's not saying that women can't get dressed up and look good if they want to feel like they're looking good, but that's not where their self-worth is supposed to be. That is not where their quality is. It's not whether you wear the right sort of clothes that makes you special or important. It's because of who you are that makes you special and important. And that's one of God's concerns for us. As blokes, we're not to reach out and lash out in anger. We're to be praying. As women, we're not to find our self-worth in what we wear and what we look like, but in who we are and how we live. And so God has a great concern for that. He has a great concern for you. And not only has a great concern for you and how you live but he's also got a great concern for his church and how it operates. And that's where verses 11 to 15 come in. And please keep in mind that this is specifically talking about how things operate in the church. It's not how things operate in society. It's not how things operate on the political scene. It's not how things operate in schools. It's not how things operate anywhere else except how it operates in his church. And specifically for that, if you want to look at chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. I'll quickly jump across there for you. He's talking to him. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Paul is just about to go into a big screed, a big thing about how things should operate within his church, within God's church. So first of all, take that in mind. People have used this to say, well, then women can't be professionals. Women can't be prime ministers. Women can't be up there in uh, businesses. It's got nothing to do with businesses. It's got nothing to do with society. It's got nothing to do with our government. All it's got to do with is how things operate in the church. So women can do anything out there. Keep that in mind, please, because that's sometimes where people have tried to run with this. You see, the, thing, the careful thing we've got to always do with the Bible is always never make the Bible say more than it does say and never make the Bible say less than it does say. Ah, that's tricky sometimes. But we've got to keep that as a part of our, our framework. So let's have a look at what it says here in verses 11 to 15. You see, remember it's about the church. It says, "'A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. "'I do not permit on a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. "'She must be silent.' Now let me just clarify a few things here because uh, if you've got the NIV Bible and the one that we put up on the thing there, I think they've done a little bit of a, a switcheroo there on us a little bit. You see, the word that we talk about here for silent probably really shouldn't be silent because the word in verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness, the word used there, and the word back in verse 2 where it says we should live peaceful and quiet lives, and the word that's used for silent is exactly the same word in the Greek, original. I never normally go to the Greek original but in a sense, but sometimes we need to realise that. It's exactly the same word. So the word there for silent probably shouldn't be silent. It should be she must be learning quietness. And what's quietness? That doesn't mean that they can't speak, but they need to listen quietly, understanding what's going on, not yelling out, not making a big noise, but listening quietly to what's happening. You see, in the Bible, women aren't to be quiet. It's not can't mean to make no sound. In 1 Corinthians 11 we see that women were in the church prophesying. Now what prophesying means exactly? It's got to have something to do with with speaking and making a noise. So women weren't to be silent in church, but they are to listen quietly. You see, the specific issue that I think this passage is on about is a thing to do with teaching and authority. That what it's saying here within the church, the main person, the one who teaches with authority in the church should be a bloke. We need to understand that. You see, it's about how it operates here in church. And I think when you look at it within the Presbyterian system, that's the church that you're sitting in today, that's the way it operates. The one person who has teaching authority or the teaching elder or the teaching elders in our church is to be blokes. And that's why it's me who's up here at the front teaching. That's why we have blokes who are elders but I don't think that's what it means, and I don't think that takes out anything else. That is the one area. Women can teach in just about anything else, and speak in just about any other place. You see, if you go across to Titus, women teach. If you go into 1 Timothy, women teach. You find out that Timothy, the guy that's been spoken to here, is actually taught by his mother and his grandmother. So women can teach, they can speak, they can be part of it but there's just one area that God says in his household is the teaching authority, the teaching elder needs to be a bloke. It's good thinking about it, isn't it? If you want to think more about this, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute but out the back I've actually got just on there as, a, as an article you can spend more time thinking this through but have a read of that if you want to think more about this because we can't delve into every area today. But I think that's what it's saying here in this passage specifically. And you see some people take this passage and say, well, you know, it's just a cultural thing. It's something that was happening back here. There there were were issues in the church of the day that uh, women were making a noise and causing a fuss. And so therefore Paul spoke that way. Well, we don't really know that. There may have been issues like that. In 1 Corinthians, we definitely know that. But to the church that Paul's speaking to in Ephesus, we don't really know that. And the other thing is the fact that Paul doesn't go to a cultural reason for this. He actually goes to a creation reason for this. You see, he goes back to Genesis 2. Look at what he says. He says, the reason for this is for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. You see, Paul says it's not a cultural reason why I believe this. It's actually a timeless God thing that I believe in this. It's a truth that's been there from the beginning. You see, when Adam was formed first, it wasn't that he was any better than Eve, but he was put in a special position. He was put in a position of authority and accountability. He was the one that was to look after and look over and see that things operated well in the garden. He had that position. That's why he was created first. He wasn't any better than Eve, but that was his role. And then what we see what happens in Genesis 3 is that role gets swept gets taken out of the hands you see we find that the serpent or the devil comes in and tempts Eve and tempts her by saying look God really didn't say that in a sense the devil's trying to take over God's role and then Eve thinks that that's really good she takes the fruit and then what does she do she gives it to Adam now the thing is Adam was probably there all the time she didn't call Adam to come over he was there And he ate with her. And throughout the rest of the Bible, the person who's called into account for that one time, that time when people decided to rule their lives and not God, is Adam. Adam's the one that's been taken as being the one that was at fault. He was the one that was to take responsibility. He was the one who should have said, no, God said this. But he didn't. He let go of his responsibility and from then on, the world has gone skew if, and it's all over the place. And so Paul goes back and says that's the reason why he decides that men should be teaching authority. They are to take that role and responsibility. But every other role is open. And we actually find when we get into 1 Timothy chapter 3 that not all blokes should be teaching either. It's actually a specific thing given for a specific reason to specific people. But everything else is open. So when it comes to church, when it comes to how things operate here for God, the timeless truth is that we are equal. Man and woman are equal but different. We have different roles. And there's only one role specifically that's only for blokes. And that's the teaching with authority, the elder or the elders in the church. Every other ministry is open to women. Women can lead church, women can teach in groups, women can lead women's ministries, they can lead kids' church, they can read the Bible, they can lead singing, they can do all these things. They can do just about anything except the one that's set here. And that was because that's the way God set it up originally. Which brings us to verse 15, which is an interesting verse, isn't it too? But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Is that saying that women can be saved by having babies? Well, it can't, can it? Because he's just said that's not the way it happens. It's only through Jesus. It's trust in Jesus, he said in chapter, back in a couple of verses earlier. And a couple of verses earlier than that in chapter 1, he said it's only in Jesus that they can be saved. He can't mean that. So what does it mean? Well, I think Paul's running out of Genesis still. He's still got his mind frame in what happened in Genesis 2 and 3. And he's saying in Genesis 2 and 3, the symbol for blokes... And the fall happening and sin entering the world is that with their hands, things will go wrong. they'll toil, and it won't work. For women, childbirth will be difficult and painful. Sorry, Nat, wherever you are, about to have one, but that's the way it is. Uh, that's the way it'll be. But then if you look in Genesis chapter three: two, also through a child, there will come salvation to the world. Through a child people will be saved. So what Paul is saying here is that a child will come from a woman that will bring salvation to the world. And who's that? It's Jesus, isn't it? It's Jesus. Mary gave birth to Jesus and through Jesus you and I have salvation. I think that's what Paul's talking about here because it can't be, I don't think it can be anything else. So let me encourage you, if you want to think more on this area and uh, pursue it even more, there's an article up the back, take it home and have a think about it. But please go home from here, probably with a bigger picture is this, that uh, in Christ, uh, in this world, men and women are created equal but different. There's no superiority. You see, even the leadership and teaching authority is a servant authority in the Bible. It's not a dictatorship authority. There's no authority, in a sense, in the bloke who's teaching It comes from Christ as the only authority he has as he teaches about Jesus. The authority that he has is to serve and to bring God's word to people. So it's not a superiority on that position. It's a servant one. We're all under God and called to come to know him through Jesus and that we're all to have God's concerns in this world. I think that's what we want to take out of this passage. We are to have the same concerns that he has. And firstly, his concerns are timeless that we need to pray His concerns are that all people will be saved. His concerns are that men and women live holy lives. And his concern is that his church is his church. And his great concern for you and I, and I think the prayer that we need to take out of all this, is that our concerns become his concerns. Because when we do that, then we'll start to live the way he intended us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for helping us through this passage. It's a pretty tough one. and Lord, there's some stuff in it that's difficult to understand. Lord, I want to thank you that you've helped us with that this morning. We pray that we'll do more thinking on that. Pray, Lord, that you'll help us to understand your concerns. Help us to see this world from your perspective. Help us to understand it from where you are, Lord. We want to thank you that in you, in Jesus All of us can be saved. In Jesus, we are equal, Lord. In Jesus, we have an eternity with you. Lord, through all of of this, help us put our trust in him and him alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.